Super Bowl 56 in the books. Congratulations to the LA Rams and the seven or so fans that bothered to show up to today's parade in downtown Los Angeles. Guys, for the rest of us, we're not there today because the NFL being the year-round business that it is, this is our opportunity to borrow a phrase from the great sitcom 30 Rock to retreat to move forward looking back on the 2021 season with the goal of informing our initial outlook on the 2022 season. And that means we'll be honing in on teams that could be in the hunt to hoist the Lombardi Trophy come Super Bowl 57 next February in Arizona. Chris, I know you've already got it all figured out. So why don't you tell us who you're looking out for at this stage when we look ahead to next season? As far as I'm concerned, my off season was Monday. So I, the new season's already ready to go. And, and I didn't used to work these months in the past, but due to the way that the NFL has rescheduled things, March 1st is a very important day. Uh, we're going to know who franchise tags are, who's available for trading, uh, who's, you know, what a lot of players are going to be doing as far as staying with teams or not. And then shortly afterward, you've got draft preparation. And this draft is very unusual because it's a really crappy, like a C plus, B minus first round draft. But when you look at rounds two, three, four, five, six, seven, they're all A's. This is a very, very deep draft. And it's going to be really interesting to see how new coaches, new GMs, and teams are able to navigate the all-important draft uh, landscape because and so you've got to be on this stuff uh, the gambling on the uh, on the draft was huge last year it's only going to be bigger this year uh, so after the draft you've got the mini camps you've got you know more player movements you've got the injuries to keep track of you've got the schedules to keep track of uh, you've got so much work to be done the season's already started guys what do you guys think Under numbers come out even earlier than they have, uh, you know, in, in previous years. Uh, so that's stuff you got to be ready for. And by the way, you know, in saying that, uh, whatever, as you said, I think a C plus for the first round, maybe some of these teams who gave up their first round draft picks for this year, maybe they're not stupid. Maybe, maybe they're really smart because number one, you always got to hit on a draft pick and first round or whatever. We know that's a 50, 50 proposition to start with. And now if you gave that up to get a player back that you know who that player is, Matthew Stafford, for example, um, maybe these teams are, are kind of knew what they were doing in that regard. Yeah, yeah I, don't think, guys... I don't think the Rams regret uh, using their first round pick this year. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> They'll take that trade any day of the week. And I think you guys touched on a lot of the moving pieces. Of course, the obligatory caveat here. We're still in line for plenty of quarterback movement. We haven't yet seen free agency, the draft, the schedule release, any real betting markets beyond Super Bowl futures. So when it comes to forecasting 2023, in a lot of ways, your guess is good as ours, but there's still plenty of value in this exercise. Our task primarily being to help inform a sound process that we can use to serve as a foundation for some 2022 NFL betting just a few months away. And as we make our way there, everybody, want to acknowledge our audience that's with us on YouTube, as well as tuning in live via Twitter with the YouTube audience. If you could give us a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. If you're on Twitter, go ahead and like and share this video on YouTube. Also, feel free to jump in that chat. 
fire away with any questions. This is a great show to make things interactive and pretty free-flowing. And guys, as we dig into our outlook on the NFL next season, let's bring things full circle from our first show. This is our 50th show. Chris, I see your 50th different shirt. But starting with our first, second, third shows, we were going division by division. And we can do that looking ahead to next year, thinking about what we expected to happen and whether or not that came through, where we were surprised. Guys, let's start in the NFC South where Tom Brady retiring recently, things could be pretty wide open. Any initial thoughts on that division? It, well, for me, boy, it's going to be a, a remarkably new division. Uh, we have quarterback issues with, with at least three of the teams. Um, it, you know, we've got coaching issues with, uh, with uh, the Saints. Uh, you know, coming into this year, I think we all thought Tampa Bay was going to win that division and the Saints would finish second. Uh, Carolina certainly was a disappointment. Uh, but, you know, looking ahead, let's not forget, uh, Carolina, McCaffrey only played four games. They were three and one in his games. He's very important for them. Uh, they did the quarterback experiment, which uh, they probably won't be doing next year. Uh, and they get the, uh, the benefit of that last place schedule. So that's going to be pretty important for Carolina to make some real headway because that team was not garbage at all, okay? They didn't play well. Uh, they had some bad breaks. They played a lot of close games. Carolina is definitely a team that I'm going to be looking to see how they draft and what they do with their player movement. Uh, Atlanta was disappointing. They, they didn't improve their, sack, uh, their sacks. I think they only had about 20 sacks for the whole season. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Uh, whatever happened to Calvin Ridley, we have no idea. Uh, you know, that's that's an uncomfortable situation. Uh, you know, we're not even supposed to ask questions about it, uh, you know, on some of the tweets I've seen. So, New Orleans, you just had Kamara arrested last week. You've got brand-new coaching. You've got quarterback turnover. You've got head coach turnover. Boy, there's a lot to look into and dive into on that team. And Tampa Bay... Yeah, most of the teams together, but boy, there could be a real lack of energy there. So um, those are the things I'm looking out for. Scott, I think that one team I want to follow up on in particular to get your opinion, weaving in a question from Ron in the chat on YouTube. Ron saying that if Tampa without Brady and the Saints are without Peyton, um, not able to get quarterback fixes, I have Carolina ahead of them in year three for Matt Rule. Any thoughts on the Panthers prospects for 2022? Well, it, it, it's it's definitely an interesting division. I mean, first of all, as we look at this, as Chris said, uh, you, you got a Tampa Bay team who's got a lot of talent. And I think Godwin's a, maybe a free agent this year, so we'll see what happens there. But the real question, of course, is who's going to be the quarterback? You got a team with a lot of talent. Uh, that was a team with a lot of talent with Jameis Winston, and they couldn't do it. And then obviously Brady brings all the pieces together. So we don't know who's going to be quarterback there. You don't know in New Orleans. Matt Ryan here, by the way, might be the best quarterback in the division when we regroup in September. Um, because, again, who's Carolina going to go to? I don't know. Uh, you know, Christie said they're not going to do that experiment again. But who is their quarterback right now? And can they get somebody that's stable in there? Or that that's a huge question mark. Um, but I think this division could be anybody's for grab. And that, that means it could be Carolina's potentially if they can get a competent quarterback. You know, as we go through these, Matt, one of the things that I'm going to hit on that we hit on in the previews, and these were very predictable, and we were spot on in a lot of these at the beginning of the year, is the Pythagorean theorem, which just kind of says, hey, a team won this many games, they should have won this many games, 
And then the other aspect that we look at is how well did they do in close games? Uh, I define it as seven points or less, one score. You could make it eight. I, I've just I've done this for so many years just to keep it stable uh, and consistent. I do the seven points. Atlanta is going to fall into a category, a very poor category of an overrated team. They're a team that won uh, 2.1 games more than they should have, and they were 6-2 and two, uh, in close games. So these teams that overperformed by two or more games and won four or more games above 500 in close games, they do not do well yeah. um, the following year. Last year, for this year, I should say, those teams were 3-0 and to the over-under mean the under in their season wins. So Atlanta fits that category. So we can potentially expect Atlanta to underperform next year. And and Chris just hit on Tampa Bay and Carol and uh, New Orleans. Who knows what we're going to get there? So this is ripe for the taking for Carolina. If they can get their act together, McCaffrey can stay healthy. They get a quarterback who's functionable. Um, they, they could have a, a very good year this year, potentially, if they get the right pieces in place. Sounds like things wide open in the NFC South, and that's probably going to be a pretty common theme as we work our way through the show. Guys, let's stay in the South and hop over to the AFC. Chris, the party for Carson Wentz might already be over in Indy after just one year. A lot of promise at times, but now uh, another division that could be just as wide open considering where the Colts go from here. And of course, the Titans snagging the one seed, um, not indicative of a typical onesie that we see when we look at their season-long performance. So as we look at what's predictive moving forward, the AFC South, another division that could be up for grabs, although we can probably pencil in Houston for the seller once again. Well, you know, this this division pretty much went according to plan. Uh, I mean, we, we all expected Indianapolis to have fared better, uh, and they definitely underachieved for the talent that they had, but they were met with a lot of... Uh, uh, COVID issues and injury issues, you, you kind of give them a pass a little, but, you know, here and there. But then they were a real letdown later in the season uh, when there was, was finally expectations on them. So uh, this is one of these divisions where, you know, Tennessee pretty much probably wins this again next year just by default. I, I think the Colts might have hit their their ceiling here. I, I You know, there's, there's cracks in the armor. Uh, we know that there's going to be another quarterback change. Uh, I think the coaching we had, I think we're, we had very high regard for Frank Wright coming into this season. He, he didn't do a good job this year. Uh, he, that team was not what we expected as far as discipline and, and, and just results, so to speak. So, uh, you know, I think there's a little bit of pressure on him and, and I, Right now, you're looking at a situation where we're probably going to see something of a mirror image next year, in my opinion. So far, um, you know, we've got a bit, we've got a long off season. We've got lots of draft picks coming in, but I can't see Houston or Jacksonville making a big climb, and I, I don't see the Colts being better next year. Uh, Tennessee, by default, even if they're worse than they were this year. They were very overrated in my book. They never made the top 10 ever, and they got the number one seed. So uh, I didn't have a high opinion of Tennessee at all. I mean, th this division could be bad next year. Scott, anybody looking forward that was lucky or unlucky when it comes to those metrics looking at Pythagorean or close games? Yeah, and uh, I agree, Matt, with what Chris said. It's probably a, a two-horse race. Um, where, you know, I think it's important to, to kind of understand 
Tennessee definitely overachieved. They overachieved by 1.8 wins, so almost two wins. They were 6-2 and two in close games. So while they don't fit that threshold of two, two games or, or, or better uh, than what they should have been, they're very, very close to that. And the flip side of that is the Colts, um, they actually underperformed kind of to Chris, what Chris said by about 1.6 wins. They were two and five in close games, so they weren't fortunate there. Now they they were plus fourteen in turnover ratio. That you know that's the other thing is if they don't get those same turnovers, who knows what happens to them? But they underperformed, and and then the quarterback, of course, is going to be the big question mark there. The good news, I guess, is you're not replacing an Aaron Rodgers. You're replacing Carson Wentz. That's more achievable. And I'm just looking at cap space here. Uh, Indianapolis is about $37 million under the cap, so they could go spend some money to shore up some things, maybe a quarterback, although there's not there's not great quarterbacks in the free agency, so I don't know where they're going to find their quarterback, but um, they have some possibilities to do some things. Because to Chris's point, yeah, maybe they hit their ceiling on this, but they got cap room, so maybe they can do some things there. They underachieved last year versus a Tennessee team that overachieved and Tennessee is a little bit negative on the cap space available. Um, so my first look at just not knowing who the quarterback is, which is going to be, uh, you know, the most important thing here in Indianapolis is I would look for Indy to possibly rebound and be more successful in Tennessee next year with a whole lot of question marks, obviously, between now and when the season starts in September. Yeah, and you bring up a very good point. I should have mentioned earlier on is, is- – Part of this, you know, part of the new season already starting is going back, as you did, Scott. Uh, check out what the Pythag is. Check out what the turnovers were. Uh, other things like what the, the sack ratios were, what the quarterback efficiencies were, how the injuries affect uh, affected the team, uh, you, know, uh, you know, like more than it should have. Uh, what were their opponents and rivals? Uh, what were their situations? Did they benefit or get hurt by those situations? Uh, what's their schedule going to be? Do they have first place schedules, last place schedules? Do, you know how you know how far deep does the coaching changes uh, affect the team? So, uh, just wanted to bring that up also. And from the South Divisions, let's hop up north, jumping to the NFC North. Scott, I think the headline would be questions swirling around your Green Bay Packers. <laughs> Any initial read as to what we can expect as it pertains to Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams? I think he's coming back. Um, you know, word is, uh, and I was just reading this today, um, that relationship between him and Brian Gutekunst, the, uh, the GM and the rest of the Packers uh, front office staff is as good as it's been in a long, long time. Now, obviously, there's, you know, there are 46, 48 million uh, over the cap or whatever that number is. They have been rumored to say that they're going to offer Rodgers the highest contract possible for the next two years. I think it can be voided in each year, which just allows them to manage the cap space. I don't even understand that part of it, quite frankly. But they're talking 45 million a year or something for Rodgers. Which in some somehow, uh, and again, you know, I don't know all these details, but somehow that possibly allows them to franchise tag tag uh, Devontae Adams. They get those two pieces back. Um, I mean, what are we looking at for quarterbacks here? Um, the Bears, okay, that that quarterback situation is not going to be better than Green Bay's. Detroit, not going to be better. Um, the Vikings, you know, probably bring Cousins back. At least they've got an offensive mind in there as head coach, I believe. Now I don't know if they announced uh, the the coach today or not. Uh, it's still going to be Green Bay's division for the taking. Ironically, Green Bay overachieved this year by about two and a half wins. Now, 
They were plus 13 in turnover ratio. But I got to tell you, if Rodgers comes back, they're probably going to continue to be plus in turnover ratio because Rodgers just doesn't turn the ball over. Like, you can look at some turnover numbers and say, okay, well, they're not going to be as fortunate next year. This is just a constant with Rodgers. So unless they start fumbling the ball, those turnovers probably are not coming in the way of uh, interceptions. So they're probably going to be very fortunate on their turnover side. I think Rodgers is back. But, you know, you start spending $45 million for a quarterback, that makes it very hard to spend money in other places on the team to keep the team super, super competitive. When it comes to the luck that the Packers have sustained seemingly year over year with turnovers, I'm wondering about the next team in the pecking order in this division, the Minnesota Vikings. Without running the numbers, Scott, you might have these handy. Chris, you as well with all the metrics you track. I felt like they lost a lot of close games and might have underperformed when you look at their one loss record relative to their true talent. If they can put a similar product on the field next year um, with perhaps some better coaching and a new regime with a new general manager, I feel like things might be looking up for them as well. Any thoughts from either of you on which way the arrow might be pointing for the Minnesota Vikings come this time next year? You know, I, I just on the numbers real quick, then I'll let Chris comment. Uh, they won eight games, should have won eight and a half, so underachieved a little bit to your point, Matt. They were four and seven in close games. Now, those are games decided by seven points or less. I know when I was going through that exercise looking at the games, they had a number of games decided by eight points. So, you know, again, that's kind of one score if you want to. So, you know, that's they've had a lot of close games. Plus 11 in turnover ratio. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see if they can duplicate that. With Kirk Cousins, you know, that that that's always an unknown, uh, I think. Uh, but yeah, they, they underachieved a little bit. And again, we don't know what, we don't know what their head coach is going to do. Uh, if, if they got, is it Kevin O'Connell? I think, is that the name, uh, yeah. coming from the Rams? So, uh, you know, Matt LaFleur came from the Rams, uh, he, you know, via Tennessee, I believe it was, um, if they can get the right offensive philosophy in there, because they were drastically missing that running too often on first down, not aggressive, they get the right offensive mind in there. Maybe they can make a big jump and and get some defensive players back. Remember, they lost a lot of defensive guys to injury this year. You know, some Chris talks about the injuries. So uh, I think there is some potential there uh, with them if Kirk Cousins is back and, and and steady and you know plays like he did this year. He was okay this year. Yeah, you know, I think we nailed this division uh, pretty well in the divisional previews last year, and we we brought up the fact that every single year this Green Bay outperforms and gets more wins than they're supposed to, and they did it once again. And uh, But, you know, I think at, at some point uh, they're going to run into a brick wall. I, I, they were affected heavily by the injuries, uh, and they still perform this well. But they're not deep at all, and their special teams is a nightmare. Um, and I don't think that they're draft pick heavy. Um I just see the rest of the division able to gain some ground on them and make, you know, going through the entire season a little bit more difficult next year. Uh, you know, they've got that first place schedule they've got to play again. Uh, they've got to play three teams. I'm not sure the Bears are going to be better next year, but I, I think we know the Lions and the Vikings should be better next year. Uh, so that's what my opinion is on that. Um, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how these teams improve through the draft and the off season this year, because each of those teams, you know, have something to work with and can and improve a lot or, or go down the drain if they do the wrong things. You know, Chris, I'll just add one other point on the Packers. Um, Matt LaFleur has been there for three years now. I think they've won 13 games each of those three years, but I remember when they were playing, uh, I think even San Francisco possibly 
uh, I kind of spoke to this. I look back at all their games at home, uh, going over three years with Matt LaFleur. They've only played like a handful of games, two or three or four games at home uh, as favorites. Now, as dogs, they played, they were home dog against the Rams this year. But as a home favorite, they'd only played two or three games against teams, I believe, if I, I don't have it in front of me, that even made the playoffs. So they've had really easy opponents at home. And we know they're home away uh, teams and opponents this year. Obviously, we don't know how good some of these teams are going to be, but they've been very, very fortunate to play games at home. Uh, and they've been labeled as a favorite, you know, sometimes because they're the perceived better team. But they haven't played a lot of games at home where they've been a home favorite against really good teams. And to your point, like if they start getting a difficult schedule against some really good teams at home, um, they might not be as successful as they have been. Yeah. As we've been talking through the NFC North, a good comment came in in the live chat on YouTube from Corey. The fine line between 7-10 and 10 and 10-7 10 and 7 in the NFL is fascinating. And guys, I think that might be a good bridge to the AFC North, starting with the reigning champs, the Cincinnati Bengals, a 10-7 and 7 team, if I'm not mistaken, in 2021. And I feel like we're all aligned on the Bengals perhaps being due for some negative regression next season. Scott, I think that might start with a big jump in wins if we look at 2020 compared to 2021. But the question ultimately going to be, will the betting market abide or is everybody going to be so one-sided in racing to play against them? Yeah, the you know, it's kind of interesting. I looked at this, Matt. They go 10 and 7. They won four games a year before. So they won six games more than the year before. We talked about this in the preseason. I think now uh, uh, Miami and Cleveland fit that bill this year. Teams who won five or more games than the previous year. And I think now, I don't have the notes in front of me. I believe that's happened now 101 times since 1983-84. Uh, and rarely do these teams win as many or more games the next year. So if Tennessee won 10 games, what that is saying is there's a very high predictability that they are going to win less than 10 games next year. I'm guessing because of the team that they have, they'll probably shore up their offensive line during the draft, that their over-under season win number is going to come in, give or take, around 10 wins, maybe 9.5, but it's going to be right in that, in that number. From a Pythagorean standpoint, they won 10 they should have won 10 and a half. So they actually underachieved a little bit from that. And they were only four and five in close games. So they were not lucky in close games. The one last caveat I'll say uh, about, you know, winning six more games. And, and I hate to um, dig too deep and to make too many assumptions where you start to just really data mine this thing. But they only won four games last year, partly because they didn't have Joe Burrow for a good amount of those games. And you could make the argument if Burrow had stayed healthy the whole year, Maybe they win six or seven games, and they don't have this five-game or six-game jump like they did. So maybe they're not the conventional team falling into that big jump uh, this year versus last year. So it's always something I think you want to keep in the back of your mind. But just keeping it very simple, yeah, they took a very big jump probably really, really quick. And historically, that says it's probably a little bit too quick. And maybe they don't uh, get quite as lucky next year. I like that context, Scott, because what I've been thinking was, okay, they made a big jump. Uh, Chris has touched on the draft and scheduling. The Bengals are now going to pick late in the first round for the first time in quite some time. They're also going to have a first-place schedule. And then being in the same conferences, Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, Jackson, probably not Rodgers by the sound of it anymore, which is music to my ears as a Chargers fan. Let's please keep him out of Denver. But nevertheless, the AFC stacked 
with talent. When we look at young quarterbacks across the league, it seems quite lopsided in that conference. So the Bengals' prospects, not only what they can do as a team, but perhaps also affected by other teams around them. And Chris, that can start in their own division. I mean, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Cleveland, none of these teams historically walkovers in their own right, with the Steelers that might depend quite a bit on where they ultimately go at quarterback. Well, you know, it's uh, it's amazing because we talk about it every year. You have eight playoff teams that that are gone the next year. You get eight new ones every year or something like that. And uh, you look at this division, and it's certainly flipped upside down from what our uh, divisional previews expected. Uh, let's not forget uh, uh, Baltimore was on fire early. You, you had MVP talk for Jackson. Uh, everything was firing on all cylinders. And then it just went offline. I think he got hurt and uh, they got hit with the injury bug, and it was just like the perfect storm for the Bengals. And uh, obviously Pittsburgh had their problems. You know, Cincinnati won a lot of this stuff out of default, quite frankly. And as you mentioned, Matt, they've got the first place schedule this coming year. They're not going to be in this mix. And people have forgotten about Baltimore, but Baltimore's going to have a last place schedule, and they're going to be healthy, and they've got a great quarterback, and they added coaching. So they they uh, they brought back some people that they had like that they'd have been with the organiz- organization before, and I I have high aspirations for Baltimore for this coming season. Uh, Cleveland, you know, they never perform well when they have high expectations, and I don't think they're going to have high expectations, and that's going to make it easier on them and something to consider coming into this next year. And uh, I know you mentioned it uh, before the show, Scott, you you don't have a high opinion of uh, Pittsburgh uh, and you think they're in for a deep fall. But, you know, if Pittsburgh could somehow land a a good quarterback, you know, what happens if they make a deal for Wilson or or, or some good quarterback? Wait a minute, they're back in play. I mean, Tomlin is just a masterful coach. And if they do well in the draft, uh, they've got a solid defense. If somehow they're able to procure a good quarterback, they're back into play, and I don't think you can discount them. Yeah, and he, here's what I would say on Pittsburgh. You're right, Chris. Um, they won nine games uh, by Pythagorean numbers. They should have won seven. They overachieved by two games, seven and one in close games. Uh, so that's going to fit a bill of a team that's going to underachieve next year. And 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 what will be really key with that, though, like you can't just take that information and run with it and say, okay, I'm going to bet them under their season win total because if they have a crap quarterback – and I'm making up a number here, just exaggerated. I don't think it would be this way, but you know, their season over under number could be six and a half. Well, you know, that's asking them to win two and a half games less than they won this year with a quarterback who's okay. Roethlisberger is nothing great, right? But he's, you know, he's got a lot of experience, but to your point, if they get a really good quarterback in there somehow, and now their season win number is nine and a half or 10, again, I don't think it'll be that high, but if it is, now maybe they could underperform next year because you've set the bar high. It's it's really relevant. You know, Matt said this yesterday when we were chatting. Um, it, it it all comes down to price, right? Like where where's the market going to uh, set their price? If they set their price too high, then what they did this year, they'll probably underachieve even with a, a competent quarterback. And of course, if they set the market low, we know Tomlin. Uh, I think he's finished 500 above every single year, and lo and behold, he did it again this year. With a team that, by the way, scored 55 points less than they gave up. Um, so, um, you know, there was a bit of overachieving there. But who their quarterback and what that price gets set at will really dictate a lot uh, for that team. 
We kicked off the last division with the Super Bowl runner-up. Let's move on to the next one and talk about the Super Bowl champs. The LA Rams might have picked the perfect time and the perfect conference to go all-in with a fairly long window, all things considered, once a team usually shoves all its ships into the center of the table and more or less opts out of the beginning of the draft for years on end. It seems like the Rams not only winning the Super Bowl this year, um, but perhaps not in for as quick and steep of a drop-off as some of us would have projected when we saw what they gave up to get the likes of Stafford and Ramsey and Miller. Well, I think... uh... We didn't comment on it, but I can't remember a Super Bowl that had two teams that really neither one of them you could consider a great team. Uh, it, it probably had the combination of the two worst teams that we've seen in a long time. Uh, yeah, the Rams won it, but boy, they you know they didn't do it uh, convincingly, uh, and they very well may just back into the the division winner next year again. Uh, I, they are not that deep. They've got a lot of free agent issues coming up. We don't know what, you know who's retiring, who's staying. Um, I called this division last year the Yahtzee division because literally any any team in this division was you know good to go, and it would not surprise me any team to win or finish in last. And sure enough, we got Seattle in last. Now they come back next year with the last place schedule. They you know. If they, you know, if they keep together and they fill some nice holes, well, then they can be some a team to really contend with. San Francisco, they've got to solve their quarterback issues, but they've got a lot of great talent on that team. And if they add well in the draft, uh, they've got good coaching. They could be in the mix. Arizona, well, she's they get one good season, and every single year, like clockwork, they want to lose five out of six, six out of seven. Every single year, they've done that. And they've got something to work with, but the wheels are coming off the bus. I mean, they kind of got their asses kicked, you know, when they played the Rams the two times. They got bullied. They're not big. Their defense wasn't very good. Uh, and I think we saw the coach, uh, King, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, he made a lot of bonehead moves. He, he really showed them. We had high opinions of him coming into the year. We mentioned it. I don't have a high opinion of him as a coach anymore. I think, you know, he was very... Uh, very average at best. Chris, yeah, you I, touched on the Rams' chief competition in the division, and one of the comments we had in the chat coming from SAD, 49ers in 2023, bank on it. Now, if 2023 means Super Bowl 57, maybe that's a lofty expectation for Trey Lance. Of course, they've still got to figure out what to do with Jimmy G. What do you guys make out of what should be a pivotal decision coming up for the 49ers when it comes to what they want to do with two guys capable of playing under center in the NFL? For me, I I think it's a soap opera. I equate it to a soap opera. It feels like they're constantly being pressured. Do they have to do anything? Are, Are they really required to do something? I, I personally think it's a great idea to, to try to platoon quarterbacks. I think it's part of the future. You know, what nobody comments on is injuries were up 20% this year from the previous five years. So you've got you've added a game, and they're going to add another game in a year or two. It, 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 why not carry both of them on the roster? I want to see what they do with it. I, I, I think that they should just tell the media to screw off. We're happy with our two quarterbacks. But, you know, uh, what do you think, Scott? I think um, let's just say they get rid of Garoppolo and they they keep Lance, who's very inexperienced, of course. The one thing they have in their favor, maybe it's a couple of things in their favor. You know, to your point, Chris, a lot of talent on that team. Uh, they've got good coaching. 
I, I do think he gets conservative sometimes at the wrong time, but but good coaching. They run a scheme that is really system oriented, not quarter, or I should say system dependent and oriented, not quarterback dependent. And you know, the Rams do the same thing. That's why they were able to get the Super Bowl with Jared Goff. Now they couldn't win it with Goff. Um, they won it with Stafford, and that that talent uh, you know takes you over the top. But they are running schemes with the misdirection and going sideways and all this and that that put your quarterback in a position to succeed. So, and when you got really great talent around him, yeah, that quarterback, even though he might be average or even below average potentially, you can get away with a lot of that because they're running the ball a lot. Their their defense can hold its own and keep you in game. So I think there's always a chance with the 49ers um, just because of that scheme, if nothing else. Um, I think they'd be a little crazy just to get rid of Garoppolo because you still don't know what you have in Trey Lance. Maybe they know more than than we know because they see him every single day. So I, I think they have a chance. Uh, you're dead on in Arizona, Chris. I don't know if it's the coaching and the structure and the system or it's Kyler Murray not able to win a, a big game, but there is something wrong there that just does not work and is not working. Maybe, you know, in the fourth, I think if there's their fourth year together, maybe that, you know, um, plays out differently next year, but you got problems there. We don't know what we'll get from the Rams. Beckham's probably, I think he was a free agent now with the ACL, you know, probably not coming back. Um, you know, they're, I was just looking, they're over the cap by about 10 million. That's not terrible in today's era. You, you can figure that out. Seattle's the one team that intrigues me a little bit. They won seven games last year. Uh, should have won 9.3 by the Pythagorean, so they underperformed. Two and five in close games. So they, they didn't do a, a great job of winning close games. I think Wilson's coming back. I don't think there's any questions about that. Uh, so they've got a very competent quarterback. Um, that team could surprise a little bit. I was looking, I think, at the Bet US. Uh, I think they're a future. I'm not into futures that much, really, quite frankly, but their futures are 40 to one. Uh, you know, that's a team that if San Francisco goes with Trey Lance and for some reason they can't produce, uh, we don't know what we're getting with Arizona. Rams maybe take a step back potentially. Yeah, maybe that's a team that can actually win that division. They're not that far off um, and in a out of place here a little bit, but just thinking, remember these teams that lose the Super Bowl typically do not perform well uh, the following year. And, um, you know, just going back to Cincinnati, that might be another thing that uh, sidetracks them as well. Scott, as we move over to the AFC West, it sounds like, uh, as you mentioned, Seattle possibly being a darling to play on based on Pythagorean numbers from this past season. The Chiefs, you were spot on with from the outset this season when it came to some regression that was due to come their way in close games. Yeah, I mean, let's remember that they, uh, I'll just go back and look here. I think it was, I think they were, if I can click on it, I think they were 8-0 in close games last year. And we said, um, uh, yeah, eight no. And we said last year, it doesn't matter the quality of the team, how good a team is. And we know Kansas City is a very good organization, very good team. Typically, you're going to regress. Now, you don't always regress the following year, but you're going to regress over time. Chiefs last year, five and three in close games. Still pretty good record in close games. But remember, that was eight no the year before. So they, they regressed by three games there. Uh, and instead of winning 15 games, if they had gone eight no, they went 12 games. They come under their 12 and a half season win number. Um, so they did regress. They kind of played to their number and their win total uh, for the most part. Uh, but the team that really overachieved in that division uh, was the Raiders. They overachieved by 3.1 wins. That is huge. Uh, and they were seven and two in close games. If I have to look at this, all these teams, I'm kind of doing this quickly off the top of my head. 
Out of all the 32 teams, that is a team that overachieved the most and is probably going to see the biggest drop back next year. This is a playoff team that was outscored by 65 points during the regular season. I didn't even realize that. You know, when I when I look at games on a week-by-week basis, I just look at numbers based on all the formulas and models we use. I don't really pay attention to points scored and points allowed. Um, but, yeah, they were outscored by 65 points. They win 10 games. I don't know. What's their season win total come in at? Maybe nine next year? Uh, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood. Remember, we've got 17 games now. Eight and a half, you think, Chris? Because because remember, with 17 games, if they come in at eight, that means they're going to go eight and nine. That seems a little light. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, you're exactly right on the Raiders. And then now they're going to pay Carr $40 million a year, uh, they're talking about today. So uh, that's a strong commitment. Uh, you know, I kind of was thinking Kansas City was was starting to have some problems and stuff. Uh, but, you know, they really built up their offensive line. They had a good draft last year. And they're built for the future. And they may not have, you know, came away with the uh, the trophy this year and fell short. But they're solidly there. They're solid. They're going to have one of the best offensive lines in football. Uh, and if they use this draft to sure up their defense, boy, you know, watch out. So you certainly have to say Kansas City's going to be there next year, and for good reason, not just by default. Uh, the Raiders, I agree with you, Scott. Uh, we we didn't we had low expectations for them, uh, and they overachieved. They got lucky uh, with randomness. Uh, the Chargers did probably about exactly what we expected them to do, you know, on divisional previews, but. Um, the, you know, special teams, they can't fix the special teams. We're calling them the special needs teams. So uh, they have to do something with that. And their coaching was not good. They made a lot of bonehead moves throughout the season. And I'm going to need you to elaborate on that, Chris, when you say their coaching is not good, is that Staley or is that the rest of the staff? What do you mean there? Well, just as as an entirety, I mean, you know, part of coaching special teams um, you know, going forward on fourth down on your own 24-yard line early in the game, you know, stuff like that. There was some clock management issues. There was, uh, uh, I, I don't recall off the top of my head, but we expected better coaching from them, and there were just cracks throughout the season. We noticed, eh, that could have been done better. Um, and then as far as the Broncos go, we didn't have, you know, we, we didn't have high aspirations for them, but they got decimated. They, you know, with the injuries and COVID, and it just seemed like they just hit every team at the wrong time also. And, and they need a quarterback. They, they can't, uh, you know, Bridgewater's <laughs> fine, but they need another quarterback. So uh, uh, that's how I see this division. It, it just, just on the Denver point, Chris, I think it's a great point. That's a team that won seven games. The Pythagorean says they should have won 8.9, so they vastly underachieved. Uh, that's a good sign going forward. Uh, they were one and four in close games, so they didn't win the close games. Um, and I'm just looking at their salary cap. They're uh, almost 30, a little over 39 million uh, of cap space to make improvements to that team. It all comes down to the quarterback. We know that, but yeah. they get a quarterback. They got money to spend, and their numbers from last year su- suggest that they should see improvement uh, there as well. And they get that last place schedule. Yep. You guys knew this was coming. I'm going to have to circle back on the Chargers just a bit here, and I will try to exercise some restraint. But I will say that I was pretty encouraged big picture to see some of the bigger foundational pieces in place. Obviously, Justin Herbert at quarterback. 
And Chris, I would have a different read off of Brandon Staley's first season. Maybe it's because Anthony Wynn set the bar so low as his predecessor. <laughs> and I have, I'm have i a fan of the team, clearly. But I've been quick to criticize. You know, Lynn, I remember the you know Mike McCoy and Norv Turner eras all too well. So when I don't like what I'm seeing from their coach on the sidelines, not afraid to acknowledge it. I really liked the aggression that Staley brought to the table, and I thought it was generally grounded in a pretty sound process. Of course, having some anchors now with Slater on the offensive line and then Bosa on the defensive line, yes, they have a lot of building to do around those pieces, but I feel optimistic overall as I look forward. I will say the AFC this year is going to be the conference that only gets eight home games with this new 17-game schedule. And for the Chargers, it could be a bit of a double whammy because one of their designated home games against the Rams, who will be playing in their home stadium. So we could see a big swing there. I mean, we saw last year the Falcons had only seven true home games, also one of their quote-unquote home games being in London. That seemed to have a pretty big impact on them as the season wore on. So overall, a bit of a mixed bag, but I do see some signs of optimism for the Chargers. And Ron noted in the live chat before the show, um, in his words, if in my 43rd annual draft report, LA Chargers do actually fix their special team unit, the whole thing, will Matt send me my beer of choice, that beer being loud dark? Uh, and Ron, yes, if the Chargers get over the hump, I chatted back at you, I will get you all the loud dark your fridge can hold. But if we ask Chris, I think that we should not be holding our breath when it comes to the prospects of the Chargers really fixing those special teams anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how fast you can fix that stuff, uh, quite frankly, so... Uh, but I, I'm optimistic about the Chargers' uh, future, though. Uh, I think uh, it, it seemed like they changed their aggressiveness toward the uh, end of the season, and, and you kind of reined it in a little bit, uh, but maybe that's just my imagination. But, uh, again, I, I bring up I never had the Chargers in the top ten uh, at any point in my metrics, and there were some people that had the Chargers rated number one at some point in the season. And, um you know, as an overall team, uh, looking across the board, you know, they've got to improve. So, uh, you know, simply put, uh, there, there were glaring issues that can be corrected. And uh, they had a little bit of that injury bug at the uh, – but, you know, Herbert looks like he's quarterback for the future. At least we didn't have any sophomore jinx there. He, he did fine. So I'm optimistic about the Chargers. Love to hear it. That's maybe the most optimistic take on the Chargers I've heard from Chris all year long. I will take that and run with it going into the offseason. And now, having said my piece on the Chargers and then some, we can move on, guys. We've talked about a lot of divisions being wide open, and that might be true more than anywhere else as we get to the NFC East. No repeat champion since 2004. And we'll start this division with one more note from Ron in the YouTube chat saying that he shows Dallas is a potential favorite for the NFC next year. He's personally never been a big fan of the coach or owner, but sees the talent as being there. Any opinions, guys, if we start talking NFC East with the outlook next season for the Dallas Cowboys? I think that they, by default, are by default they're a favorite for the NFC. And uh, they've got the talent there. Um, I, I think it was, you know, they're keeping their coaching staff together. They had their little injury bug also. They get a, uh, uh, you know, a draft to help up fill some more spots up for them. Uh, they're not losing any key players uh, that I can think of off the top of my head. So by default, they have to be the favorite. Um, you know, looking back, we, we kind of expected them to be there. Um, Washington, 
Uh, some thought they were going to do well. I thought I pegged them pretty well and, and thought that they could uh, really go downhill. And it's it's a real curiosity what, what's going to happen with Washington going forward, quite, quite frankly. Uh, they've got a lot of issues. So, uh, you know, I think this is a uh, – I think the Giants are going to benefit significantly from getting rid of that horrible GM they had because they were getting out their drafts were just horrible some of the decision making they were it was horrible mentioned in divisional previews that uh, Galladay would never stay healthy glad to get him out of Detroit and sure enough you know did he even play three games uh so but at least they can they've got the new coach they've got the new GM they've got a deep draft they do have some talent there even though they're that bad but Philadelphia They've got the draft picks stocked up this year. It's a deep draft. They've got lots of draft picks. They finally came into their own toward the end of the year. Uh, this I've got to imagine that they can carry a lot of that forward uh, into next year. So I, I see a Dallas Eagles in that division. Scott, yeah. looping it back to Dallas, I would like to get your take. A possible counter to Chris's argument in favor of them may be due for some regression if we sign much predictive value to their big jump in wins year over year. Yeah, big big jump in wins. Now, this is kind of like Cincinnati in the sense that they, they win 12 games. They won six last year, so it's six more. And there's that five-game jump or more that historically doesn't do well. But we also know Dak was out a lot of games last year, right? So uh, if he plays, you know, they, they probably would have won many more games. And so that jump went to, went to played into it. So, you know, that I think has to be in the back of your mind. Uh, they win 12 games. They should have won 12.2. That's right there. Um, they were four and three in close games, so they weren't necessarily uh, fortunate in those games. That didn't inflate their numbers. The one number that you know I would look at, and you know we just wonder, is it repeatable? Plus fourteen in turnover margin. I think that led the league. Uh, can they do that again? I do think um, you know the, the cornerback is a little bit overrated. Now he, he was a ball hawk. He was kind of a. Whenever I say ball hawk, I think of Ed Reed. You know, he was a ball hawk for the Ravens. And so maybe maybe uh, uh, Diggs has a uh, you know propensity to be able to just grab that ball and get it. Um, but if they're not as fortunate in the turnover market, maybe there's a little bit of a decline there. Um, but short of that, I think it's a two two uh, team race. And as Chris said, I think the Eagles have three first round draft picks. Now you got to turn them into something, and you got to get something for that. But they certainly have the weapons and. And again, maybe it's not a uh, top-heavy draft, so maybe they couldn't even draft those to get an elite player to move up in the draft. But Philly has the uh, uh, the um, uh, they're armed with the potential here to go forward and 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 and, and add to this team. I'm not a I'm not sold on McCarthy. I think Sean uh, Payton uh, clearly is making a move to go there, and he's doing it very strategically, getting out of New Orleans, retiring, if you will. And then, um, you know, we'll see if he goes to Dallas after next year. Um, uh, I, I think McCarthy will hold that team back a little bit as well. Yeah, I think that Dallas has to finish Final Four or, or the season's a disaster for him, quite frankly. And by the way, just looking here, they are uh, $21 million, I believe, uh, over the cap. Uh, so they got some, they got some cap numbers that they've got to deal with in Dallas as well this year. 
had to take out the glasses to double check that number. Yes. That means it could be dicey in Dallas this coming season. Guys, seven divisions down, one to go. And I think a common thread between the NFC East and the AFC East, Brian Dable, the Giants' new head coach, maybe one more reason, Chris, to feel optimistic about them long-term, no longer in Buffalo, and he was instrumental, by all accounts, in turning around Josh Allen. How do you view the Bills moving forward without Brian Dable at the helm with their offense? I think the Bills are going to be fine uh, some way, somehow. And maybe, you know, we have to take a closer look at that and, and not just assume they will be okay. So uh, you bring up a good point there. Uh, Buffalo is exactly who we expected them to be. We expected them to win the division. Uh, I, I, we brought up that uh, don't be surprised if New England's there. And New England did show up. Um, and we thought that Miami was going to be in, eh, and Miami was it. Uh, I think going forward, Miami is, I, is definitely one of the teams that's peaked. I think we've seen the best of them, uh, and it's going to be a, a complete retool there. And uh, I, I don't see it any other way. They've got the same quarterback issues. They've got a new head coach. Uh, they, you know, they did have the injury problems last year, which is a little bit of an excuse, but uh, they just uh, they just don't have it. I don't think. And uh, uh, the Patriots. They're, they built solidly because they take care of the little things, the, te- the things that a lot of teams don't do, which is special teams and the little things of blocking and scheming properly and just doing the grunt work well. And uh, they may have gotten a little overachievement from the quarterback. Uh, he looked pretty lost in the playoffs. Uh, so there's a little bit of concern there. But uh, And they've lost their offensive coordinator. So uh, there's going to be a shift there. Uh, but I, I, you know, I don't know how you can see it any other way. The Bills uh, are, are certainly should win that division. Uh, I don't think the Patriots are going to drop as far as people think. And uh, the Jets have five of the first 38 picks. So uh, they could re- they could uh, get a lot of help, especially with how many people had to sit out throughout the course of the season. Scott, any one or two key factors top of mind for you right now looking ahead at the AFC East? Yeah, Buffalo, kind of surprising. You don't really see this with teams at the top like that. But Buffalo and New England both underachieved uh, from a Pythagorean standpoint. Buffalo wins 11 games, should have won 13.1. That's 2.1s of underachieving. And they were 0-5 in close games. So they got no luck in close games. Um, And that's that's, 0-6 if we count the Chiefs' loss to end their season in devastating fashion in the divisional round. Yes, exactly. So... You know, that's a team that could possibly win more games. Now, now obviously, I think they had a pretty easy schedule this year. So, we'll, you know, we'll have to see who they play next year from an opponent standpoint. New England also wins 10 games, should have won 12.4. They were 3-3 three and three in close games. So, no, uh, you know, luck there from that standpoint. Um, and then the other thing uh, to kind of look at here, Miami, and I'm not even going to take the glasses out, Matt. I'm just going to trust my eyeballs here. $64 million of cap space. Uh, so, they are at the top. And the Jets are fifth at 44 million of cap space. So, uh, and as Chris pointed out, uh, the Jets with all those draft picks as well. Um, so, could these teams improve their team uh, dramatically through some free agency? Uh, you still got quarterback question marks with both those teams, though. Uh, and I think those are very big question marks. Um, so, yeah, it's still Buffalo's division, I think. But it'll be interesting to see what happens with Miami and the Jets with both a combination of draft picks and a whole bunch of money to spend to see what they can do with the rest of that team uh, to improve it. 
That takes us across the league. And guys, as we wrap up our look at who might be in the hunt for the Super Bowl come this time in 2023, uh, Chris, I'll start with you. We, we can each speak to any teams that we feel at this point we might be the most bullish on relative to our perceptions of the market value on teams across the league. Chris, who are you looking at at this stage quite early on in the process? You know, in the AFC, I think you really have to look at Baltimore will be significantly different than uh, what we saw last year and has the the, the highest upside to them. Uh, you know, as far as the NFC goes, uh, we talked about it. You know, it's going to be pretty wide open. Uh, there is no standout team in the NFC. I don't care what anybody says. And uh, it, there just isn't. So... You know, that's where the hard work all summer long is going to be coming into play with free agency, drafting, uh, and and all that information. So it, it'd be silly to speculate at this point. But, the, the, you know, those, those are the only two things that I see, quite frankly. I like the Baltimore angle. Currently at BetUS, for what it's worth, 16-1 to 1 to hoist the Lombardi Trophy this time next year. I'm going to look at a different AFC team. And, guys, I don't know when I'm going to learn my lesson, but as I see the price... <laughs> Going to throw the Chargers out there. Again, trying to look at this as objectively as I can. One thing I see at BetUS, 22-1 to 1 on the Chargers. Not ready to fire a bet on that number at this stage necessarily. But that's the same price as we're seeing with Tennessee. I feel like the Titans could be coming back to earth quite a bit. And also the same price as the Bucks, presumably without Brady at this stage. Also the Chargers priced far below the Bengals. And let's keep in mind the Chargers won by 19 points in Cincinnati in December. So this might be selling them a bit short just when we look at the early signs the market's throwing out there. I touched on some foundational pieces they have in place as Scott gets the glasses back on, readying his segment here in a moment. Um, we also mentioned Brian Dable no longer with the Bills. And one more note, Kansas City, they're going to be paying Mahomes real money for the first time this coming season. His cap hit going up about 5x what it was last year. It'll be just short of $36 million in 2022. So if that limits what the Chiefs can do with the rest of their roster in any way, maybe a slight opening. If the Chargers are ever going to be able as a franchise to take the opportunity in front of them, I think that time could be near while well, they've still got Justin Herbert on his rookie deal. And the NFC, going to give a quick look at the Vikings. I'm seeing them priced at 33-1 to 1 at BetUS. That's the same price point as the Browns and the Saints. A lot of question marks at quarterback for both of those teams, as well as the Eagles. You guys touched on all their draft capital this year. I think in a few years, things might be looking a lot better for Philadelphia. Not so sure that I'm that optimistic on them this year. I think the Vikings could be in for a bit of positive regression and uh, maybe some cold water thrown on this take. Hearing your thoughts, Scott, on Aaron Rodgers probably staying in Green Bay. I just figured with Rodgers uh, maybe moving to the AFC and especially with Brady retiring, there could be quite a bit of a quarterback exodus going on in that conference as well as potentially in the NFC North. So just a bit of a look at the Vikings for me. Um, and Scott, apologies for giving you too much ribbing there on the glasses earlier, but do whatever it takes. You've been delivering great info all season long. Tell us who you're feeling particularly bullish on as we make our early look toward the 2023 Super Bowl. Uh, I would say, Matt, in the AFC, the the one of the obvious picks and not necessarily a, a value pick, but is going to be Buffalo. Uh, that's a team that's taken great strides the last couple of years. And I just pointed out uh, they 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 won two more games, two two games um uh, less than what they should have. They were very unfortunate in close games. A little bit of that turns around, and next thing you know, they're they're hosting an AFC championship game. Um, 
the rest of it, you know, is uh, either teams that, you know, are, are predicted to do well. So, you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. Uh, but two value picks potentially here, uh, one in the AFC would be the Indianapolis Colts. It's going to obviously be, depend on who they get at quarterback. That's a team that we already talked about, underachieved this year. They've got about $37 million of cap space. Uh, if they can fill the quarterback spot, and that's a big if. Uh, I think that's a team, and they're at what? Um, 28 here, to 1. 28 to 1. So from a value standpoint, and you're taking a chance that they're going to have a competent quarterback that can play for them, there could be some value there. And then going to the NFC, the one value spot here, I would say the Seattle Seahawks at 40 to 1. They've got $36 million of cap space. They have their quarterback. Again, I'm going to assume Wilson stays. Another team that underachieved this year. So if we're taking a couple long shots, I think 28 to 1 with the Colts, 41 with Seattle. Uh, and if you want your kind of, uh, you know, the, this is the obvious pick, the Buffalo Bills, um, just because I think they underperformed. It's a very good team as well. You know, one thing I want to point out with the scheduling, uh, with this added game, when you've got last place teams playing last place schedules and first place teams playing first place schedules, the added game now adds an additional first place mm. game or last place game to those teams. And you have to pay, you know, with that in mind, some teams could get the short end of the stick and, and really play the toughest of the first place winners or the weakest of the first place winners. And, and the same goes for the last place winner. So Seattle could really, you know, get a, you know, extra last place team to face. They could really have a, a, a favorable schedule in mind for them. Yeah. Let's I mean, just hope their extra last place game doesn't give them Baltimore. Yeah, True. exactly. I, and I, I looked at that stuff yesterday. I don't remember because you're right. It's, it's, well, I mean, they, they could get Denver who could be improved to get the quarterback, right? But yeah, it's, it's a choice of Denver, Jacksonville, Baltimore, or the Jets. So if they can avoid Baltimore, Chris, to your point, um, that might be favorable. Yep. One more topic that we can touch on briefly, I think could be a lot of interest to this audience. We're going to get some action down on it well before the next season kicks off, that being the NFL draft out in your guys' neck of the woods in Las Vegas this time around. Do you guys do any draft betting? Any thoughts on draft betting strategy? Yeah, you know, uh, one of the biggest mistakes that you can make is to believe anything that you hear in the media for like the final two, three weeks. It's all BS. Uh, so you've really got to pay attention when you're betting the draft and not just, uh, you know, chase information that you hear out of the corner of your uh, your ears, so to speak. Um, the other thing that you'll find is New coaches and new general managers, they aren't going to do what you think they're going to do. They, they, they inevitably will surprise you. Uh, they're not dependable. So uh, a couple of things there that stick out to me. The Raiders are a surprise every year. Throw in a new <laughs> regime and they could be an extra supersized wild card this time around. Scott, what are your thoughts on draft betting process? Uh, you know, I haven't done a lot with it, but I'm getting more and more intrigued with it. Um, I, you know, if you do your homework on what, first of all, you know, teams can slide out of the, you know, late positions, early positions, wherever, right? So that could throw a wrench into things. But I think, you know, when you're looking at, you know, how many offensive players, defensive players, maybe some certain positions, running backs, wide receivers, offensive linemen, um, you know, it's it's fairly likely that the Bengals are going to take an offensive lineman. You know, you you can you can nail some teams to possibly offense or defense where they're going, but you got to be careful because, like Chris mm -hmm. said. There's smoke and mirrors. Um, you know, it's hard to believe anything. 
Uh, is Mike Tice not even going to make a draft pick when he has the opportunity with the Vikings many years ago? Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that can happen there. But I think if you do your homework, there can be some value found. Prices move pretty quickly. Um, again, information, you know, remember the 49ers last year, who they were going to take in the third spot, that bounced all over the place. Uh, and, and how could you rely on any of it? Um, so you got to be a little careful. But if you do your homework, you, you, you know, look, the best thing about betting is no one forces you to make a bet on anything at all, right? But the whole board is there in front of you. And if you can find just one thing of value potentially, hey, you have a chance to make some money on it. Guys, we have one more question from the live chat in YouTube, but this coming from Tim Kelly. Do you guys bet on anything other than football? Um, I understand that both of you do. So what's on your immediate horizon as far as betting is concerned? For me, it's uh, the NFL is going to be uh, 12 months for me, uh, for sure. But uh, MMA takes up a lot of my time. It's very time consuming uh, to do properly, but I, I focus a lot of my attention on that. Uh, uh, that's the, the, the I, oftentimes I use, I was more on MMA than NFL <laughs> some some weeks. So uh, that's the that's the major other sport that I do. Uh, for me, Matt, um, I have somebody that's very good at NBA basketball, so I follow that, uh, and I just rely solely on that. Could, I got I guess I can name you some players because I watch the games now, but could barely tell you names on the players. But you just rely on somebody that's really good. Uh, I do do college basketball uh, uh, for totals with the March Madness. Um, and then once the NFL seasons ends, I do get into college basketball, just looking at conference games, uh, both sides and totals. I've got a model that's done pretty well. And the model for me during the basketball tournament for totals has done extremely well for about 20 years. And, and that's about it. And I always joke, uh, I would do very well in the NFL season. I do that college basketball. Uh, then baseball will come. Hey, none of us are perfect. I don't, I don't have a baseball model. Do I bet baseball? Yeah, I would. I'd have a great season. I'd give $10,000 back during the baseball season, right, to eat, in, eat into my uh, NFL profits. But, you know, I'm playing some games. The best thing that ever happened to me was COVID 2020. I saved $10,000 because I couldn't really bet on baseball. And when they did reopen, uh, you know, I really wasn't interested in it. But so for me, college basketball, um, follow somebody that's very good in the NBA and NFL. Well, now in 2022, even if you have a baseball model, might not be coming into play the way things are looking. So Very perhaps true. no harm done there. But the beauty of the year-round sports calendar, whether it's also MMA, college basketball, especially March Madness, plenty of options, of course, at BetUS. So would encourage everybody to give them a look to expand their options of accounts they can bet into as we keep the action rolling all year round. Otherwise, guys, I think we've done about all we can with our early look at the NFL 2022 season and teams that could be in contention to be winning the Super Bowl this time in 2023. So I'd like to take a moment once again to thank the audience that's tuned in on YouTube. If you found any value in this conversation, and odds are if you're still with us now, you found plenty of it. Please take a quick moment to give us a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. Anybody tuning into our first live show on Twitter as well, appreciate any likes, retweets, just spreading the word about this show. And with that, everybody, from all of us here at BetUS, thanks for stopping by, but mainly, stay classy.